Hello, my friends. It is election night in the United States. That's of great interest to us, the greatest friend, ally, and neighbor of the United States. And how the United States goes today, we often go the next day. I think Joe Biden is going to get a thumping at the polls. We'll talk to Katie Davis Court about that. But before we do, I want to tell you the latest about Elon Musk's plan to democratize Twitter. Oh, the elites don't like that very much. That's today's show. But before I get to it, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe, eight bucks a month. You get my nightly show and the other shows we have on our paywall too. Just eight bucks. And the reason we need that is because we don't take any money from Trudeau. He's the number one revenue source for Canadian media. But my view is you can't take money from Trudeau and report on him independently. So we don't take the money. So we rely on you. Please help us at rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, it's amazing to hear journalists try to explain why they're better than you. I'll show you some examples. It's November 8th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. By the time this is posted online, we'll be having our U.S. midterm election live stream. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday night, feel free to tune in. We stream it on rumble.com, YouTube, Getter, and other platforms. I'm excited about it. After two years of bad news under the Democrats, I think America is going to swing back to the Republicans in both the House and the Senate. Uh, of course, I'm worried about the margin of cheating, but I'm still optimistic. In a moment, we'll talk with Katie Davis Corp about some of the interesting races. Perhaps the most curious to me is this oddity, the Democratic candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania. His name is John Fetterman. He's got quite a unique look, doesn't he? He's got that shaved head, that goatee, the tattoos, always in a hoodie. Uh, it's a tough guy look, but but he's not really working class. He's more sort of Marxist, wokeist. I, I think of a, a prisoner more than a worker. Um, but that's not the weird thing. The weird thing is he had a stroke and he tried to keep it a secret. And the media helped him keep it secret until finally one reporter, actually from the mainstream media, sort of just said the opposite. And, and holy moly, was she battered by the Democrat trolls. I mean, she said, she said the obvious, that is. She, she just said what he was like. Take a look. Not a typical candidate interview. No, Lester, because of his stroke, Fetterman's campaign required closed captioning technology for this interview to essentially read our questions as we ask them. And Lester, in small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. Can voters trust that you will be able to do this job on day one? Yeah, of, of course. Say you're on the road to full recovery, but right now voters really have to take your word for it. We've asked for your medical records. We've asked to have a conversation with someone from your medical team to interview your physician. You've declined those requests. Why? Well, I, I feel like we have been very transparent in a lot of different ways. When our doctor has already given a letter saying that I'm able to serve and to, to be uh, running. I mean, respectfully, that letter from your physician, that was six months ago. Holy cow, did the left ever get angry at her for that? Well, it, it just gets crazier. I mean, uh, Fetterman is running against TV's Dr. Oz, who's uh, running for the Republican sort of a, a TV celebrity. That'll be an interesting one to watch, but I'm really worried about Democrat Election Day shenanigans in Pennsylvania. Um, election Day, who's kidding whom? That only happens in first world countries. Third world countries like the United States now take days or weeks to count the ballots. All the Democrat-leaning media are saying this is normal. This is completely normal. Nothing to be worried about. It's really crazy. Anyways, that's tonight's live stream uh, on our YouTube and, and Rumble channels. But back to the monologue today. I want to talk about Twitter. And I know that most of you probably don't even have a Twitter account. It's just a shorter, meaner Facebook built for quarreling with people as opposed to sharing family photos or invitations to barbecues, which is probably more of a Facebook thing. But even if you are not on Twitter, and I very strongly recommend you do not join it if you're not already trapped in it, here's why Twitter is still important to you. It's what journalists and politicians love. 
It's where they brainstorm. It's where they chat amongst themselves, but you can listen in. It's where like birds in a flock, they subconsciously, unconsciously assemble in formation. You can see journalists whip each other up and iron out a narrative. You can see what all the pundits are pushing together. And because it's so short and quick, it's often a more honest reflection of what they think than a scripted video or a written essay. People say dumb things on Twitter. It's the danger, but it's also the fun of the place. You can debate anyone. You can heckle anyone, engage anyone, and you never know who will engage back. I did a tweet once that Donald Trump himself replied to when he was president. I got a real kick out of that. Uh, in a way, it's a kind of meritocracy. If you have something smart or funny to say, it can go viral no matter who you are. That's the internet for you. Power to the people. We take it for granted now, but before the ubiquity of smartphones with their built-in cameras, it was rare to catch some crisis in action on videotape. I mean, in the olden days, pre-internet, pre-smartphone, there were some people who were real photography buffs who carried a real camera around with them, but that was really rare because what a hassle, right? And very few people had a video camera. Now, think about all the important news these days that's captured by ordinary people just in the right place at the right time on their cell phones. That's the kind of journalism. Twitter lets citizen journalists publish videos and photos and comments, and the emphasis is on speed and engagement. So it truly is the public square for politics in 2022. It's also good for sports or entertainment, following celebrities, that sort of thing, too. But I think its real value is politics and news, or maybe that's what I use it for. That's certainly the value to various governments and spy agencies. Twitter's a bounty for spies uh, to get information on dissidents, who they are, what they're saying in their private messages, for example. That's all owned by Twitter. So as you know, Elon Musk, the billionaire, bought Twitter and he took it private. He, he mustered $44 billion U.S. That's almost $60 billion Canadian dollars. And it was a fascinating dance. He made the offer. And then several of the board members denounced the offer. But then when Elon Musk pulled back, saying Twitter misled him in that there's a large number of customers that Twitter pretended were real, that were actually fakes, they were robots or bots. Twitter then sued Elon Musk, demanding that he close the deal anyway. <laughs> they went back and forth and in the end he bought it. And in the first week or so, he fired half the staff. Now, how can you fire half the staff of any company? If it were another kind of business, like, say, a restaurant, how can you fire half the staff in a restaurant? Would you get rid of cooks or dishwashers or waiters? I mean, it's tough to imagine there being that many useless people in a real business like a restaurant. I mean, I, I guess you could do what McDonald's and other restaurants are doing, having touchscreen tablets to order food, which I suppose gets rid of some cashiers, but that, that's not half the people. Or imagine an airplane, an airline. How can you get rid of half the people? Pilots, flight attendants, mechanics, refueling people, baggage people. You'd be terrified if they got rid of half the people, right? And the thing about that McDonald's tablet idea is that that's using high-tech ideas to replace labor. What is Twitter other than a high-tech idea? There's no Twitter store you go to. It's not shipped to you in a van like Amazon stuff. is. There's nothing you physically touch. It's just an app on your phone or your laptop. So it's already as efficient as it, as it could be, right? As scalable, as they say. You don't have to build no, more buildings like a McDonald's franchise. How on earth can you sack half the staff at Twitter and have customer use actually grow as it has over the past week? How did they, who did they fire? Well, that's the amazing and shocking part. Twitter was absolutely chock full of useless political bosses, political activists, censors, regulators, public policy experts, nothing to do with the actual app itself, nothing to do with the technology. They, they were like barnacles on a ship, and they were more barnacles than ship. They had attached themselves to the profitable, useful technology and just brought in their woke agendas. They colonized the place. Half the staff at Twitter were political bosses. I mean, look at this incredible statement by a former Twitter employee fired by Elon Musk. She was fairly senior. She said, yesterday was my last day at Twitter. The entire human rights team has been cut from the company. I'm enormously proud of the work we did to implement the UN guiding principles on business and human rights to protect those at risk in global conflicts and crises, including Ethiopia. And, and her list goes on. Hang on, you, you had this whole human rights team implementing United Nations principles? Did, did you know about that? I didn't know about that. 
Twitter's imposing some foreign globalist regulations on its app? What? I mean, I don't even know if I believe it. <laughs> when, when you look at, I mean, talk about United Nations human rights rules. Uh, I mean, in some ways, every dictator in the world has a Twitter account from Iran to China to Venezuela. So, so much for human rights principles. And look at this investigation by a journalist named Li Fang. Documents show Facebook and Twitter closely collaborating with the Department of Homeland Security, FBI, to police disinfo. Plans to expand censorship on topics like withdrawal from Afghanistan, origins of COVID, info that undermines trust in financial institutions. Yeah, if you don't love your bank, uh, you're a disinformation expert. So that's what Twitter's thousands and thousands of political enforcers were doing. Running errands for the UN, for the military, for big banks. Here's more from Lee Fang. FBI agent Laura Demlo was in communications with Facebook that led to the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story in 2020 over the false allegation that it was disinfo. This year, she met with Twitter DHS to stress, we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable. So they're basically political censors who also let the police just come right on in and silence people using the app. No trial, no rule of law, no U.S. Constitution, First Amendment, just, just a crazy secret relationship with the police. I'll read one more. Facebook and Twitter created special portals for the government to rapidly request takedowns of content. The portals, along with NGO partners, used to censor a wide range of content, including obvious parody accounts and content disagreeing with government pandemic policy. By the way, portals like that that give you direct access to an app secretly, that's what the Chinese government does to its internet companies like TikTok. And we condemn that, but that's what Twitter was doing all along. That's what half the people at Twitter were doing. You might have laughed at me the other day when, when on the show I called Twitter a CIA operation, but literally half the people working there had nothing to do with computer science or engineering or the user experience. They were spies, either gathering information on people or silencing people working for hidden masters. Now, obviously, if, if someone is fired, that's bad for them. And, and we mean no harm to anyone in particular. Just because we disagree with them doesn't mean we want them to be unemployed and not make their rent. And of course, if they enjoyed their work friends, that's, that's a sad development, just speaking on a personal level. Let me read this guy's tweet. Getting rid of public policy people when you're claiming to do real free speech is the stupidest move ever. Love who you work with. Um, I'm sorry that he's out of a job, but that's pretty self-serving. All these censors and regulators and filterers were not doing free speech. They were all shaping and regulating and hiding and tweaking and eliminating other people's free speeches. And it wasn't free anymore. Public policy, people working at Twitter. Why? Twitter ought to be like a bulletin board. People can put things on it. You don't need thousands of staff standing around taking down things from the bulletin board that real people put up and putting up what you want them to see instead. Public policy people? Look, if you're in a public policy like I am, well, then get a Twitter account and make your case. Don't secretly silence from behind the scenes and the chutzpah to call yourself a free speecher. I'm sympathetic to this person as an individual, but, but I'm glad their job is gone. It was the job of a censor. Some of the tweets were just lamenting the end of a cushy, well-paid career, but others had an ominous warning to them. You'll regret this. We were the last bulwark against Russian propaganda. We were the last thing stopping you from believing misinformation and disinformation. This is a trick. Everything was true until now. But now that I'm fired, you will be in a sea of lies. No, not really. But look, I, I can see how Twitter, a uh, Twitter censor who censors every day, using uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms to censor by the thousand or by the million to censor whole ideas or words, I can imagine how that person can say that their absence will change the world. In a way, it will. We will hear more points of view now, not just the approved ones by a left-wing Silicon Valley company's woke leftists. We might hear uh, alternative points of view on the pandemic or the vaccines now that we're always silenced before. So actually, the world will change a bit. Those people actually will be missed by their friends at Pfizer or the Democrats or the FBI or the CIA, whatever. But what about another thing that Elon Musk has done? That little blue check mark next to your name. Again, if you don't have a Twitter account, you may not know what I'm talking about. It's called a verified check mark. It supposedly verifies your identity. Um, now, that's not someone Im uh, impersonating you. That's you because you got that blue check, part, uh, check mark. It's useful for public people, but in fact, it, it wasn't treated 
like a true verification mark because anyone can get verified by showing ID and proving they are who they are. Think about what you had to do to get your online banking going. You, you, you can do it, and yet you yourself might not even be famous. My point is the blue check mark for Twitter was not in practice about verifying your identity. It was about whether or not you would be invited into an elite club of influencers and approved pundits. I, I have no idea how I got my blue check mark. I didn't ask for it. One day it came, and I suppose I'm glad. Maybe it's because I run a news company and even our critics on the left acknowledge that we're a thing, but the blue checkmark community has a kind of identity, a group identity. They're the fancy people. They're the official people. They're the approved people. It's not just verified. It's approved. In fact, Twitter has in the past punished people by taking away their blue checkmark. How does that make sense if it's just about verification? Are they not still the person they were yesterday? No, of course they are. It just means that they've lost Twitter's seal of approval. It was always a snob thing, a club, a cast, an elite, us versus them. Again, I, I have no idea how I got it, but I got it somehow. But look, Elon Musk has now said he's going to let anyone get themselves verified in that little blue check mark for eight bucks a month. You too can get that blue check mark. That's not just a source of income for Twitter, which it is. It's a way of reducing spam and bots. Spam and bots, robots, or anonymous accounts sometimes made by the hundred or by the thousand, and they are artificial. They're like what a laugh track is to a TV comedy. They're fake. You can have thousands of fake bots promoting or opposing something or someone. It's what Elon Musk didn't like about Twitter when he called off his bid. He said there's too many robots there. He said one solution is to make everybody pay eight bucks a month to go through the verification process to eliminate bots. I mean, you wouldn't likely see someone buying 10,000 bots if it was eight bucks each per month, even if they could provide the verification information, which they probably couldn't. So it's about improving the user experience, about moving away from ads and towards a membership fee, but it's also about democratizing it. Now, the peasants can look just like the kings on Twitter. And oh, does that make the blue checkmark aristocracy furious? I think I showed you this the other day. Stephen King, the millionaire, was arguing with Elon Musk, the billionaire, about not wanting to pay eight bucks a month. <laughs> Look, it wasn't about the money for Stephen King. It's that Stephen King is special. And because he's special, he wants a freebie that only he gets. Because don't you know who I am? I'm Stephen King. But what really made me roll my eyes was seeing Canadian journalists saying that their blue check mark and the little in, the inability of the little people to buy a blue check mark was essential to democracy. It was all that was keeping journalism in Canada safe. They were like Twitter's own censorship and United Nations squad, and really they are. The blue check mark journalists are part of the elite club that suddenly, well, they're not going to be cool anymore. And, and they're furious about it. If everyone can have the blue check mark, it's not fancy anymore. This is my favorite example. So Elon Musk himself said, widespread verification will democratize journalism and empower the voice of the people. He sounds like a rebel. So Canada's very own Rachel Gilmore, a young woman at Global News, whose specialty is short TikTok videos, said that's very dangerous, you see. She said, Making every single persona a verified source of reliable information is a really great way of poisoning the well. This won't democratize journalism. It'll silence it. Bad actors will drown out reliable sources. So letting ordinary people be verified is poison. It will silence people. That part isn't explained, but, you know, free speech equals silencing people. It will drown out bad Bad actor? I don't even understand. And by implication, Rachel Gilmore is certainly none of those bad things. She's not poison. She's not a bad actor. And you know that's true because she has the blue check mark. We just went through this. She has a blue check mark because she's book good and she's good and has a blue check mark. And that's how it works. Now, I, if she's anything like me, she did not have to fill out any forms or take any tests to get it, get any reference letters. She just got it like I did. But if you're part of the club. You just sort of know you're part of the elite. You're special now. So we should believe her that she is none of those bad things simply because of the blue check mark. It's proof. Here's Rachel Gilmore, by the way. Are you going to invite your unvaccinated relatives to sit at the dinner table with you this Thanksgiving? Experts are saying you might not want to risk it. Here's why. According to one expert from McMaster University, vaccines are super effective, but 
They're most effective when you're surrounded by other vaccinated people. If you invite someone who isn't vaccinated, there's a risk of having a breakthrough case. Now, breakthrough cases are pretty rare. There's only ever been about 8,000 in Ontario, but kids can't get vaccinated yet. So part of keeping those kids as safe as possible is telling that one uncle who chooses not to get vaccinated that he might have to sit this one out. Yeah, that blue check mark is the seal of approval for quality journalism. So I wrote back, and that's half the fun of Twitter is the banter. I said, look, journalism is not a profession or a trade. It's an activity that anyone with a smartphone and a Twitter account can do. The democratization of journalism outrages the elites because it takes away their monopoly. That blue check mark was their proof that they're better than you. And the banter to which Gilmore replied, this coming from Ezra explains so much. It does explain so much. Explains why we citizen journalists over here have 1.58 million YouTube subscribers and millions more in other social media because we know that a blue check mark isn't what makes a journalist uh, doing journalism is. Here's a reporter with Canadian Press, Rosa Saba, who says journalism isn't an activity, it's a job. That, that doesn't really make sense. Of course, it, it can be a job or not. I replied, that's not a dichotomy. It is an activity that can also be a job. Whether or not you're paid for it doesn't determine if it's journalism. In fact, if you cash a check from Trudeau, as 99% of Canadian journalists do, I'd argue that the job part undermines the journalism part. I mean, what does getting paid or not have to do with journalism, except that if you get paid by Trudeau, odds are you're compromised. I like this one by a journalist with a blue check mark <laughs> who said, firefighting is not a profession or a trade, he meant to say. It's an activity that anyone with a garden hose can do. The collapse of our republic dovetails perfectly with the lie of citizen journalists and the rise of unvetted, organized disinformation and listening to morons. <laughs> Like this one. Actually, firefighting requires some special skills and special equipment more than a garden hose. You need a truck. You have to have some strength and you have to know what you're doing. Um, journalism doesn't. Uh, you've got a phone with a camera and a social media account. There are no barriers to entry. You're a journalist. This journalist read my comment and said he was scared. This is frighteningly wrong. Yeah, no, not really. I said, journalism is not a profession. A profession has legal barriers to entry. Think of doctors or engineers. A governing body with authority to sanction members. The power to exclude competitors. None of that is compatible with freedom of the press. Sorry if that's frightening to you. None of the advocates of keeping blue check marks for the fancy people are, are telling the truth. They're, they're not actually worried about disinformation or misinformation or unethical people. Those are just insults. The mainstream media takes care of those unethical behaviors on their own, by the way. How many conspiracy theories do they serve up from the, their lies about the origin of the virus to their lies about the efficacy of the vaccines to their lies about the convoy? This is my favorite. Uh, you know, given Canada's support of Ukraine in this current crisis with Russia, it, I don't know if it's far-fetched to ask, but, but there is concern that Russian actors could be continuing to fuel things uh, as this as this protest grows, but perhaps even instigating it from, from the outset. That CBC anchor actually got a promotion after that. All we heard out of the Trucker Commission of Inquiry from last month, from every police source, is that the truckers were peaceful, contrary to what the mainstream media said, and that the media itself was the source of the lies. The blue checkmark media was the source of the lies. Not us, the citizen journalists. Rachel Gilmore is a TikTok journalist, for crying out loud. I'm not sure if that's even a thing, but I won't get snobby on her. I'm just saying she craves that blue check mark because it gives her validation she so dearly wants. So she's not just another influencer showing just enough skin on social media to get views. It's her claim to being classy and important and real and authoritative because her work alone doesn't afford her that. And it's a way of marginalizing her enemies and her critics. I have validation and you don't. Well, now the world's richest man says everyone can buy that elite status. From here, I don't care too much. I mean, I have the blue check mark. I suppose I'd rather have it than not. But I love that the scarcity of it is about to end and that the grubby peasants will be able to buy these, what these princes and princesses had bestowed upon them once. Now we can all buy it for eight bucks. But doesn't that say it all? 
The media party really is a club, a party as I call it. It's about a team, about friends and enemies and whose side you're on. That's what all these blue check marks are raging about. And I am loving every minute of it. Stay with us for more from Katie Davis Court. Well, we post the Ezra Levant Show at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time every day. So by the time you see this, we will actually have started another show, our live stream for the U.S. midterm elections. We love covering U.S. presidential elections, and I think this midterm election is certainly a premonition of what could happen in 2024. It's really the first time Americans have had a chance to I don't know, have a referendum on Joe Biden and his leadership, if it even is his leadership. I think the woke squad of the Democrats are really in control, at least ideologically. There are a lot of problems in the U.S. economy right now, inflation, the cost of energy. There's even the looming threat of war in the distance, Russia, Ukraine, and America's involvement. But I think that Joe Biden has just come across with a kind of Jimmy Carter-style malaise. And I think that Republicans see opportunities around the map, not just at the state level where there are some governorships up for grabs, but the Senate and the House of Representatives. I think conventional wisdom is that the Republicans will win that back and have a real shot at taking the Senate. There's a few places we will watch on the live stream. I'm very interested, of course, in the success of Ron DeSantis. I think it's almost a foregone conclusion he will be reelected in Florida. Will he run in 2024 is a real question. Arizona, which is sort of a purple state, red or blue, I think it's trending red. You have a really American first Republican, Blake Masters, affiliated with Peter Thiel probably the only libertarian in Silicon Valley, a big Trump supporter, Kerry Lake, running for governor there. Pennsylvania, fascinating battle between John Fetterman, a Democrat who had a stroke, versus the Republican Dr. Oz, not a particularly right-wing man, but certainly telegenic. That's one to watch. And even New York State, New York, one of the most progressive places around, such a crime wave there, and their incumbent governor having not been elected, remember she was selected, when Governor Cuomo was run out on Me Too allegations, there's actually a chance the Republicans could pick up New York City. It's all very exciting. And so if you're watching this on Tuesday night, maybe push pause on it and flip over to our live stream on Rumble and YouTube. And one of the guests I will be having in real time is my friend Katie Davis-Court, one of our U.S. correspondents. And she joins me now from downtown Seattle, where she's driving around, taking a look at things from street level. Katie, great to see you again. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ezra. It's obviously a big day in the United States, so excited to be covering it from start to finish. Yeah, uh, Seattle is part of the Pacific Northwest. We have a great affection for that. At least I grew up in Alberta and BC. Real, There's a closeness uh, to Washington State and BC. Um, Seattle and Portland, Oregon, really have been trending towards the woke left in recent years. Does that show any sign of boomeranging back? I know there have been some places where their soft-on-crime attorneys general have literally been thrown out. Like Even San Francisco is saying, whoa, right. we've gone too far. How is it in your hometown of Seattle and, and your, your, the place you haunt so much, Portland? Is there any sign that even progressive Pacific Northwesterners are saying we've gone too far to the left? You know, that is a great question, Ezra. I think that they are really reaping the effects of these failed progressive policies. You know, their policies have created severe lawlessness, high crime rates, there are the most recorded homicides ever in both cities, such as Seattle and Portland. But when I was on the street, we did a the USA team did a U.S. midterm streeter video. And I went and I asked voters in Seattle how they plan to vote. And they are still Democrat stronghold voters. And they said that their main issues were abortion and January 6th. Huh. And so... It's not going to be the voters in Seattle and the voters in Portland that are going to make a change. It's going to be the people in the outside cities, the rest of the people in our states that the progressive policies in Seattle and Portland have began to affect where they live. So it is personal for a lot of people because Washington and Oregon are both states that are not deep 
glue. They're only deep glue because of Seattle and Portland. The rest of the states are pretty much solid red. And so this election cycle has awakened the voters across the state that normally wouldn't even turn out to vote. But I think that it's there's talks of a red wave across the state. I'm remaining, or across the country, I'm remaining skeptical skeptical because I don't necessarily trust the way that our election our elections are run in in the country. You know, Washington and Oregon both have strict mail-in voting. You can't even have the option to vote in person. So it's really going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But the main the main races to watch in the state that I am in is Senate candidate Tiffany Smiley and Republican candidate for House Matt Larkin they have the chance to actually flip their districts. So Senate candidate, so Tiffany Smiley is running against longtime incumbent, Patty Murray, who has been a congressman, congresswoman for over 30 years, and she has only passed nine bills her entire 30 years. And so Tiffany Smiley actually is pulling ahead of Patty right now. And I, it's going to be interesting to see how, what comes tonight. And Matt Larkin, he has a great chance to flip the eight congressional districts, which is actually in King County, where Seattle is. And so if he flips that district, it just shows that Republicans actually might have a voice come 2024. Wow. You know what? You make a good point that, <laughs> I mean, you, you sort of stun me when you say that people are actually raising January 6th, the insurrection, as an issue. You know you're in Seattle when you're hearing that CNN talking point. I don't think I've ever seen an organic, normal person raise that out of the blue. But you, So I know you're deep behind enemy lines. But there are some places where crime, in particular, meets uh, you know, a, a strong Republican candidate. I mentioned Pennsylvania, you have, you know, Philadelphia, which is a lot of crime, and you've got John Fetterman, who suffered a stroke running against Dr. Oz, who's a great communicator. I just want to show you some clips from their debate. And the unusual thing is that Fetterman, I guess he can't hear things clearly, so he needs to read subtitles of what people are saying in real time. Like, he, he really is disabled, and I'm not making fun of him at all. It's just shocking to me that someone who had a cognitive injury through a stroke is being high i mean for, for an intellectual job that requires him to hear and speak and operate and think and i just find it very odd take a look at this debate clip from dr oz versus fetterman fetterman's the democrat they're standing by him take a look I absolutely support fracking. In fact, I live across the street from a, the, a steel mill, and they were going to frack to create their own energy in order to make them more competitive. And I support that, living closer to anybody else in Pennsylvania for fracking to myself. I believe that we need independence with energy, and I believe I've walked that line my entire career. I believe Democrats... Mr. Mr. Fetterman, I do have a specific question, which you can continue on this topic, but you have made two conflicting statements regarding fracking. In a 2018 interview, you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. I never have. But earlier this month, you told an interviewer, quote, I support fracking. I support the energy independence that we should have here in the United States. So, Mr. Fetterman, please explain your changing position. 60 seconds. Uh, I, I've, I've always supported fracking. And I always believe that independence with our energy is, is critical. We can't be held, you know, uh, you know, ransom to somebody like Russia. You know, I've always believed that energy independence is critical. And I've always believed that. And I do support fracking. I've never taken any money from their, their, their industry. But I support how critical it is that we produce our own energy and create energy independence. I must correct the record. Uh, well, he uh, just a second, Mr. Oz. I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? I think that's a real possible winner. And incredibly, New York State, where Lee Zeldin is running, I think he's got a chance. I would, I mean, I don't think there's been a Republican governor of New York State since Pataki, and that was like 30 years ago. I, do you think it's possible? Yeah, you know what? I do think it's possible. And I think that the Biden administration has awakened the rest of 
America, you were seeing uh, high crime rates. You were seeing the effects of what happened during COVID when the tyrannical leaders started taking over and started dictating what people did with their children, um, started dictating you had to get a shot to keep your job. They went full dictator, and that has awakened the rest of the the rest of the country, and that is why there are talks of red waves because this election is personal. It is people that have lost their jobs, their livelihoods, their children can't can't go to school, they've masked their kids, and this is um, in the United States. You know, we have the United States Constitution where it grants everyone the ind individual rights to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and we saw uh, these dictator governors really take that um really you saw these governors really um use go against the united states constitution and that is why it is possible that new york could very well elect a republican governor you know it would be such a, a shocking uh symbol to the country that the pendulum really is swinging back. Now, last night, Donald Trump had another rally. He's really being in campaign mode. He has had more rallies than Joe Biden has had. And I can't even believe it. How is Trump looking younger? And I'm not saying that as out of <laughs> flattery. Here's a picture that uh, I saw posted online today. Just, I mean, the guy looks like he's Benjamin Button. Like he's yeah. going backwards in time. Um, that's from Benny Johnson there who hopped a plane with the uh, former president. I thought that maybe Donald Trump was going to make an announcement last night that he was going to run for president in 2024. I think his team was sort of teasing that. It was like a, a, a taunt to get people to watch. He didn't make that announcement. I'm sort of glad because I, I think that if Trump would have announced that he was running, that would have been the only headline in the newspapers today. And that really would have motivated Democrats to get out because Democrats hate him. Yeah. Um, but I think that Trump has telegraphed to us that he will announce his candidacy in about a week or so. Mm -hmm. First of all, do you think he is running? And second of all, do you think he should run? And I guess third of all, if he does run, will he win? That is a great question. I think he is definitely going to be announcing on November 15th. I think the reason why he didn't announce uh, last night was because he did make a comment about DeSantis that was kind of in a negative manner the rally before last night and I think that that didn't go well over with DeSantis's um base and so I think he was I think his team was smart and having Trump hold off on announcing because like you said all the headlines would be all about Trump winning and Democrats hate him to death so they would absolutely turn out more uh in voting in th this midterms but if he does run I think that he actually it's just a great question. I think I personally would love to see him run because we did get robbed. The Republican side did get robbed of the 2020 election. And there's a lot of bad blood still. I mean, we saw January 6th happen and there's just way too much people that don't agree with how the 2020 election went. So if Trump does win, I think it's going to be a victorious moment. And I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting. I think, if he runs, he'll win the primary nominee. I don't know what's going to happen if in 2024, if he'll get enough votes. I think it's possible, but we'll just have to see. I think, you know, 2020, everyone saw the United States kind of go up the flames political violence wise. I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen in 2024. I think that we're going to see 2020 kind of on steroids and it's going to, January 6th is going to look like a little party compared to what would come. Well, it's going to be uh, a real battle to the death. And, and we don't know who the Democrats are going to run. I don't think anyone believes Joe Biden will run again. He's failing cognitively, not quite as spectacularly as John Fetterman. But there's no way that Biden will be the nominee. I I can't imagine it being someone as unlikable as Kamala Harris. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be a Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump uh, rematch. I'm convinced it's going to be Hillary Clinton, and I think it's going to be Hillary versus Trump again. Oh, my God. Well, I just want to play for you that one clip, because you mentioned a, a snide remark that Trump Trump is great with nicknames. I mean, he's a master yes. at it. That's that New York uh, sense of humor and, frankly, a little bit of meanness. I mean, you know, um, crooked Hillary, lion Ted. Like, he just sums people up. Little Marco, 
uh, low energy jab. I mean, they're, they're so right. famous, the put downs, and they stick because there's a grain of truth in them. He tried out a nickname on Ron DeSantis the other day, and I don't know how well it went over. I didn't like it because I, I love Ron DeSantis. I think he's got the best qualities of Trump. He's skeptical of the media. He He's bold. But he he has other good qualities. Like, I, I think he's less wild, has less own goals. He's a perfect fit for Florida. I'm a super fan of Ron DeSantis. I would like it to be like Batman and Superman who are friends. I don't want Batman and Superman to fight. But here's right. Donald Trump uh, giving a nickname to Ron DeSantis that, to me, sort of surprised me coming out of nowhere. Take a look at this. But I used to come out and, and it used to drive the fake news crazy. But today I have the highest poll numbers I've ever had, perhaps partly because the Democrats are doing so badly running our country and people want our tremendous success of no inflation, energy independence, military victory. Remember, I defeated ISIS 100 percent. Remember? Al-Baghdadi and so many other things, including crime. We had it weighed down. But we have the best poll numbers. Where are they? Are they putting them up on the screen? I think so. Put them up. Look. Yeah, we're putting them up. We're winning. We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before. Let's see. There it is. Trump at 71. Ron DeSanctimonious at 10 percent. I'm not even sure if that fits. DeSanctimonious. I, I don't know if I mean, maybe there's a touch of that tone to him. But when I think of Ron DeSantis, sanctimonious is not the chief characteristic. I think he's I think Trump has dialed that back a bit. I hope he got the message from the party. Don't shoot at our best governor. I, right. I, and it, it felt like a, a weak and defensive statement for like, if, is Trump afraid of Ron DeSantis? Uh, that, that's what a nickname suggests. I hope that these two guys don't battle it out. Cause I like both of them. I, I hope so too. And you know, I think that Trump needs to actually watch what he says this time around because he is on, under a severe microscope and media, you know, he's media's number one enemy. And so anything he says, they're going to take and run with. And the Republican Party, they need to be united more than ever. I know a lot of people even want DeSantis to be the nominee. And so if Trump is on come campaign time, if Trump is on the election stage, shaming Ron DeSantis, that is just not going to go over well with really any Republican across the country. So we're just going to see what happens, but he is someone now, and usually I'm actually a big fan of Trump. I think he's hilarious. I love that he fights back against everyone. You know, no one's safe under Trump, but he actually does need to watch what he says this time around. Yeah, very exciting. I think it will be a red wave, as you called it. I think it will be a turning point. I think both the Congress and the Senate will move into the Republican camp, and I think it's about time. Great to see you, Katie, and we'll see you on the live stream, which will air simultaneous to this. Thanks. Thanks, Ezra. Great talking to you. Right on. There you have it. Katie Davis Gore, one of our American rebels. Stay with us. Uh, more ahead. Hey, welcome back on about yesterday's show and that NDP MLA who was convicted of hacking into the vaccine passport database. I mean, what a story. Heather Jones says, as an Albertan, I would like to know whose info this criminal exposed. Well, from what we heard, he made uh, over a million queries into this database. I don't know if he did anything with it other than Jason Kenney's. Local Guide says, shame on those cops. They are a disgrace. No doubt they were just following orders. You're talking about police from around the world engaging in bad behavior during the lockdowns. And I have to tell you, the bad behavior continues. I, I was down there in Lethbridge on the weekend for a court hearing involving three peaceful truckers. And it wasn't until I left, I heard some abusive police conduct at the truckers barbecue. The truckers had a big barbecue. I went and had a hamburger. And I didn't see this, but they had some porta potties there. And the police refused to let the trucks offload them and made the men pull them by hand. It was just an outrageous, little, petty, abusive thing. Those cops are out of control. They're still out of control. It, it really is a disgrace. Nico Pohl says, Nuremberg 2, no excuses, no amnesty, never forget. Nuremberg is uh, one of the names of the 
Well, there were the Nuremberg trials after the Second World War where war criminals were put on trial, including for the Holocaust, including the Nazi doctor's trial. And if you don't know about that, I've done a show on it before. I encourage you to Google it. Um, the Nazi doctor trials were putting the doctors on trial because the doctors committed so many of the atrocities in Nazi Germany. And it came up with a code, the Nuremberg Code, of things we must never do in the name of medicine and how doctors have a special obligation towards patients or anyone they do medicine on. And we absolutely threw the Nuremberg Code out to get forced vaccinations through. It really was Nazi-like in that regard. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, see you at home. Good night and keep fighting for freedom. Is there anything you like about Tiffany Smiley? Is there anything I like about her? Yeah. Yeah, again, like. Yeah, show me the evidence that what she's saying works. I'm more liberal than Joe Biden. Katie Davis Court reporting for Rebel News. Just ahead of the United States midterm elections, King County elections promoted an event that bribed the Hispanic community with free tamales and special gifts to teach them how to fill out their ballots. Now, the event that they promoted was being hosted by Washington Environmental Council, a progressive nonprofit activist organization that aims to eliminate fossil fuels and heavily promotes democratic legislation and policies. Now, since King County elections is supposed to be fair and non-biased, I searched their accounts to see if they had promoted any conservative events and came up short. Now, my investigation will most likely make a lot of conservative voters and candidates angry and rightfully so, so take a look to see what happened. I walked into the Mill Creek Room at Kent Commons where a small group of people were gathered. They were eating tamales and discussing midterms. It wasn't a large turnout, which was most likely due to the severe storms that we have been having in the area. After I was bribed with free tamales and was entered into the special giveaway, I walked over to the table they had set up where you could check your voter registration and even print out your ballot. On the table were two voting guides. The first guide was for candidates endorsed by Washington Environmental Council, while the second guide consisted of a list of progressive candidates. But there were no guide for conservative candidates or their policies. After I was offered, or should I say bribed, with free tamales, in walked a woman that I knew named Michelle Lee, who runs a conservative organization called Washingtonians for Change, who also came to infiltrate the event. Michelle and her friend both brought their ballots with them, and we all sat down with one member of the organization who guided us through the ballot and the candidates. I work for... Washington Environmental Council. While he didn't mark our ballots for us, he told us which candidates he voted for, why he voted for them, and when Michelle and her friend pressed on conservative candidates and their issues, he had zero knowledge and used rhetoric that could easily persuade an ill-informed or first-time voter away from the issues that they care about. Did you vote Pramila? Mm -hmm. I'm not in her... Oh, you're not interested. Okay. So. I would if I were there. It's a stretch to say that I support her, but I would prefer her over Clifton. We so should Patty vote for Patty. Patty. Basically, like pro gun control, pro union, and pro choice. And Tiffany Smiley is basically running on like my perspective on the Republicans running on crime is like because she is running on it. Like Tiffany Smiley, she's like, oh, crime's getting so bad in Seattle. It's like you never come to Seattle. Whatever. Um, I'm not really seeing, I'm not hearing like solutions, you know what I mean? Like okay. If, if I'm hearing that, and they talk a lot about the border. To me, what border are you talking about? So all she talks about is the U.S. border with Mexico. And I'm like, we're in Washington state. So I'm not hearing, so Tiffany Smiley is basically running on what you're saying. She's like running on crime. And she is hearing that people are concerned about it, but I'm not hearing a solution. I thus far have not heard solutions. Is there anything you like about Tiffany Smiley? Is there anything I like about yeah. it? I'm pulling up her agenda to see. I'm glad you're going through all this. Uh, okay, so here's the thing: is sometimes she says things that are good, 
but then there's no detail, which makes me concerned, which goes for a lot of politicians. Right? Okay. So, like, reducing wasteful spending that cause inflation. I'm like, okay, but then I don't see any detail. So I don't know. Um, okay, here's one. I would support bipartisan legislation that gives parents the options to advance child tax credit payments to help families after the birth or adoption of a new child. Okay. So that's a solution, right? That's yeah. That's a solution. So, but it's both the Republicans and the Democrats are for it. So. Oh, okay. So it's just, they're both for it, is actually what I'm reading. She mentions uh, closing the border and the, the border the, with the, the Mexicans. Right. But that's where most of the criminal activity is coming into the country. Yes, there's a Canadian border. I'm more liberal than Joe Biden. The people coming across. That's illegal immigration. That's what you got to be very careful. Yeah, something that is not going to be addressed. Yeah, again, like. Yeah. Show me the evidence that what she's saying works. Actually, support, right? So I personally Which support. Which one are you supporting? Well, the idea that we should have a tax on aircraft, I personally support. So what are your thoughts on King County Elections promoting this event? Well, first of all, they have no business promoting this event because, you know, it's nonpartisan. If they're going to do something, they should be on, have representative from both sides. But clearly what I found tonight was it's very one-sided. Um, all the questions, all the candidates that we brought up were uh, leaning towards the liberal Democrats. You just have to wonder why King County elections would ever promote this event. It is blatantly biased. And if they're promoting a Democrat organization's event, they should also be promoting a Republicans. But I think that most would agree that they just should not promote either side and stick to fair and secure elections. Thank you guys, Kitty Davis Court, Rebel News. If you enjoyed our coverage of today's events, please go to rebelnewsusa.com and donate. We are 100% crowdfunded by the people. We report for the people. We do not take a dime for the government. And we appreciate all of your support. We cannot continue telling the other side of the story without you guys. So again, that is rebelnewsusa.com. Thank you.